What's going on, guys? In this podcast, I want to discuss the overall draft structure, or at least what mine will be for this coming fantasy draft season. And I'm going to do so using what I learned from my mock draft yesterday. So this is often something you kind of have an idea of, but the mock drafts, at least for me, really help kind of hammer this home because you'll see, especially with a good fantasy app like Sleeper, I believe their ADP, I'm not sure what it is, maybe better players play on Sleeper, I don't know, but their ADP seems to be a little bit more realistic, like there are guys that were going in the sixth round, going in the fourth round in, in the mock I did yesterday, so that, you know, and, and they were guys that I felt were just ridiculous values in the sixth round, going in the fourth or whatever, so that makes sense to me, but um, anyways, I went running back, running back, running back. If you guys didn't listen to that podcast, go back and check it out because <clears throat> I, I kind of walked you through every single decision I made and why I made it. The one thing that looking back on that was was interesting to me, I had the choice in the third round, and this is kind of where things get interesting. I had the choice in the third round of going either Clyde edwards Lair, which I ended up ultimately doing, but there was also... Michael Thomas available and Justin Jefferson available. And even if you like Calvin Ridley, he was still available at that point. And I could see anybody making a case for those guys. But the reason I didn't go that route and the reason I went Clyde is because I took a look at both running back and receiver positions and what they kind of had left in them in the immediate future in terms of rounds four, five, six. And I didn't like what running back was shaping up to look like. And I really liked how the receiver position was still looking. So in my position, which was the second pick of each round or, or, you know what I mean? Second pick of the first round and so on over in a 12 team league, I decided to say, let's take Clyde here. And then in the fourth round, I went Chris Godwin, which is something that I'm not looking back on that. I don't know how much I like that. I like Chris Godwin as a player. And I guess I do like the pick in general top of the, I mean, um, what was it, the bottom of the fourth round? I can't remember. Anyways, I went Chris Godwin in the fourth round, and then and then at the bottom of the fifth round, I went Robert Woods. <clears throat> I'm not sure if I absolutely love Chris Godwin as a, as a fourth-round pick. I think I like him. I'm still kind of going back and forth on that in my head as we speak. But I will say that Robert Woods at the bottom of the fifth round was an awesome value to me. I know some people don't agree with me, but I, I really think that Robert Woods in that – at that price is just too good of a deal to pass up. And if I wanted to, I could have, I could have went Kenny Galladay in the fourth round instead of Chris Godwin. And maybe you guys would like that more. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Kenny Galladay was available at that point, but the overall principle of, or the philosophy of what I'm saying in terms of like which position to draft, as long as some unforeseen things don't happen in these rounds, I actually really like running back, running back, running back again, this is all contingent upon there being quality guys available at each spot. So if you guys don't remember, I took Alvin Kamara at the 102, and obviously that's fine. I mean, you could make the argument Dalvin Cook should have been the pick there. Um, Christian McCaffrey went first overall. So I, in a full in a full PPR league, which is what I'm mocking for, which is the Fair Shake Football Fantasy Drafts that are coming up very soon, the, the 150 buy-in leagues. And yeah, I mean, that – to me, the full point PPR and the fact that Alvin Kamara has just been more durable overall than Dalvin Cook, even though I will say Dalvin Cook has been much more durable than kind of the overall perception on him. I went Kamara because, again, full P- full point PPR, and I just think that Kamara 
is the more overall slightly more reliable. I think Dalvin Cook is very close, and I almost chose him, but I want Kamara. Anyways, so you could make the argument for either one, either guy or whatever at that point, and I'm fine with it. However, after that is where it got interesting. So I went running back in the second round. I went Antonio Gibson in round two because I like Antonio Gibson a lot, first of all. But there were some other guys like Cam Makers that went right in front of me and things like that that I probably would have taken over Gibson, even though I do like Gibson. I'm just slightly concerned about what's going on with his toe injury or whatever. I don't I don't exactly know how that's going to shape out. I kind of just have this intuition that he's going to miss a couple games at some point or another. Hopefully, it's just a couple games though, right? But anyways, I like at this point in time during the pre-draft season, I like Antonio Gibson a whole lot. So the second round there, bottom of round two, I'm totally fine with that value. And then again, I went Clyde over. You could have said Michael Thomas. I, I almost went Michael Thomas, but the fact that I took Alvin Kamara at the 102 was made me sort of pump the brakes on that. And then I was going to take Justin Jefferson instead, but I just felt like Clyde Brazil again, what was the deciding factor in that decision was the fact that I really liked how running back, I mean, I'm a receiver was shaping up in the rounds four, five, six, as I projected kind of what would be there at that point because of how much was there at that time. And then when I looked at running back, I'm like, oh man, running back is, is very slim pickings in rounds four, five, six, right? At least it was in that particular mock draft. And I think that's kind of how it will be in the real mock. I mean, in the real draft. So running back, running back, running back, if you can pull it off, to me, is a pretty damn good philosophy, assuming which wide receivers are available that you see when you're making your third pick are kind of, it's plentiful enough that you think, hey, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be able to get a couple of these guys with my next two picks. And it's not to say that in the fifth round, if Robert Woods wasn't there, if Kenny Galladay wasn't there, it's not to say I wouldn't have went running back again. I have no problem doing that, right? So for that for that reason, you know, it's just kind of up in the air. But I felt like, and just like you would do in a real draft, if you're the GM of a team, you're going to say, hey, there's a bunch of corners in this draft. Maybe we don't take, you know, a corner with a top 10 pick here in hopes of getting an Asante Samuel in round two, which is basically what the Chargers did this past year, right? They they said, hey, let's take Slater because there's a bunch of good tackles, but we didn't think Slater would fall to us. He's too good of a value here. Let's go ahead and wait on corner <clears throat> because we cut uh, Casey Hayward. Let's take a corner in the second round. And that's exactly what they did. And I think that worked out great for them. And I think that just is a general philosophy that most GMs, most teams incorporate right you're gonna wait and you're gonna see who's available in it or i mean how many players at a particular position are available at a particular position of need in a real draft right or in fantasy and whether it's likely that some of them will be available for me in later rounds and i think that's what i did with uh with the robert woods and chris godwin pick and why i went clyde edwards elair over Justin Jefferson and Michael Thomas and even Calvin Ridley in the round three. Now, I don't love Calvin Ridley, but if you do, that's totally fine. Grab him in round three if you thought, hey, this guy's going to be an absolute stud because people are citing his his production without Julio playing. And I want to be very clear on this, okay? Just because Julio didn't play in that particular game does not fully indicate what Calvin Ridley's going to look like without Julio on the team. Because if you look at what Juju Smith-Schuster did with A.B. not playing, it was a couple game sample size, similar to what Calvin Ridley's was without Julio. And you could say, oh, wow, Juju is still productive. 
The difference is when a guy is questionable in that in that week leading up to that game, right? Meaning if Julio is questionable, the opposing defense can't just say, ah, he's probably not going to play. Well, let's let's shift all our coverage and attention towards um Calvin Ridley. Sorry. Well, they can't do that, right? Because that they, they have to say they have to it keeps them a little bit more honest at minimum, right? They might just say, let's prepare as if Julio's playing. And if he's not, then we'll we'll shift things right before kickoff to Calvin Ridley or whatever. But that's not the same thing as a guy not being there. Now, you're sitting there like, hey, Calvin Ridley is the you know, biggest threat on that opposing offense, right? So we are going to, every single week, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at making Matt Ryan go elsewhere with the football, you know? And, and then if Kyle Pitts is able to come on very, very strong, and he becomes the number one option or what looks like the number one option, well, then you could see another shift. And that maybe at that point, Calvin Ridley, to me, is a buy low candidate, right? Because I think those kinds of shifts, and they're very important to monitor, they do happen. But as far as my opinion on Calvin Ridley in the third round, first of all, I like Michael Thomas and I like Justin Jefferson at that spot more than him. But again, I liked what was available for receivers after that. And I felt pretty comfortable that I'd get some guys that I felt better about, right? Or that I felt much better about than I would have felt about which, which running backs were available there. So in recap, I think that going running back, running back, running back is actually a pretty damn good philosophy. And, I, and usually I do think that, right? I just, I wouldn't like to be in a position where I have low end wide receiver twos as my top two receivers, though. You know, and, and for me, Chris Godwin and Robert Woods, I feel are pretty much two mid range at least to high-end wide receiver two, maybe even low-end wide receiver ones, especially in the case of Robert Woods, who I took after Godwin. But if I were ranking them, I, I think I'd have Woods ahead of Godwin. I just did that because I thought Godwin wouldn't be there in the fifth round. I thought Robert Woods, based on how that draft was shaking out, would probably be there. So that was kind of my philosophy on that. And a lot of people were asking me yesterday on the post I made about Robert Woods, they were asking what I think about Cooper Cup, just so you guys know. I like Cooper Cup a whole lot too. I think that you look at last year's, you know, performance from him at at certain times, especially in the year, and it wasn't it wasn't fantastic, right? It wasn't the the productive Cooper Cup that we've kind of grown to grown to be used to over the years in this Sean McVay offense. But <clears throat> for the most part, everything I said about Robert Woods in terms of making a case for why Robert Woods is a great value in round five, I think you could make a pretty damn similar case for Cooper Cup, meaning Cooper Cup over the last three years has played, well, okay, let's just do the last two years with him. He's played in all but one game over the last two seasons. He's had 94 receptions and 92 receptions for well over 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns. Yes, last year he his yards per reception went down to 10.6, which is an area that – you don't really want to see because in the previous years of Cooper Cup, he, he averaged 14 yards a catch, 14.2, 12.4, and 10.6. So on the one hand, you could say, hey, those numbers are trending down in a pretty scary way, especially because Cooper Cup over his first three seasons, and remember, he missed eight games in 2020, I'm sorry, in 2018 with that ACL injury. Over his first three seasons, he had 21 touchdowns. It's an average of seven per year. And again, that's two and a half years, really, So because he missed half the season in his second year. And then in 2019, I'm sorry, in uh, 2020, he only had three touchdowns. So that's obviously not, you know, that's somewhat concerning. And the way he kind of fell off a little bit last year 
was also concerning, but we cannot discount the fact that this guy is only 27 years old. He'll be 28 during next season. I'm not sure if he's turned 28 yet, but he'll be 28 next season. He is also a guy that has been very consistent in terms of availability, especially the last two years. And he's also a guy that is experiencing an upgrade at the quarterback position, a guy that can just flat out do more in Matthew Stafford and a more veteran quarterback like Matthew Stafford there. You hear this a lot about these veteran quarterbacks, right? There is not a defense you can throw at Matthew Stafford that he hasn't seen before. Now Stafford has the support of a running game, the support of a pretty good offensive line and a great play calling offensive minded head coach. So those things all apply equally to Cooper cup. I just think that Robert Woods, in my opinion, is a better football player than Cooper Cup. And I think that Robert Woods, based on what we've seen lately, is in less of a decline than Cooper Cup. Let me be clear. Cooper Cup is not in a decline overall, in my opinion. I don't think I think that I could see how you might be concerned about that just because of the yards per reception going down and the touchdown um, production going down a little bit recently. But I just think that Overall, if I had to bet on it, I'd say Cooper Cup still has plenty in the gas tank. You know, he's only, again, just going to be 28 years old this year, one year younger than Robert Woods. But um, all in all, I like Cooper Cup at that spot. I just think that uh, Robert Woods is a little bit more valuable, so I went there. But, yeah, I mean, uh, overall, so we've established going running back, running back, running back, not saying no matter what I'm going running back, running back, running back, but if the board shakes out correctly and you or in that manner and you think and you you have to be really confident that you're going to get guys like Chris Godwin and Robert Woods in rounds four and five and the only way to do that is to before you make that third pick to take a look at what's available after that in terms of wide receiver what's available at running back after that and then what's you know you can take a look at tight end and quarterback too if you want to go that route but I'm not going those two positions in the fourth or fifth rounds almost a certain like if Travis Kelsey's there in the third round, I, I'm I'm abandoning my, you know, not putting a premium on tight ends. Absolutely, but in most cases, he's not. In in 99.9 percent of cases, he's not going to be there. So I'm not taking a you know a tight end by all intents and purposes in rounds four or five. So I'm only looking at receiver and what's what's available from that standpoint. Now, you could make the argument, and and really, this is always about value right so it's not just about what's available in terms of um running backs and receivers later on because you could make the argument or at least i could right now that if i went Devonte adams and tyree kill with my first two picks that maybe i'd be able to patchwork together my my running backs in a manner that's okay because let's think about it if i went Tyreek Hill, I mean, Devontae Adams and then Tyreek Hill, my first two picks, right? Those are obviously very dynamic, very blue chip worthy fantasy uh, players. And then in the third round, I go Clyde Edwards-Elair, right? Let's just say I, I want to get my running back at least at, in the third round in that from that standpoint. I just think that after that, in the fourth round, you like it, it's very risky because of just how, particularly because of how yesterday's draft played out in terms of what's available at the running back position in the fourth round, just looking at ADPs right now, I could have went, and this is just me brainstorming again, right? I could have went Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill to be different, right? And then in rounds three and four, I could have went Clyde Edwards-Elair. And then I believe 
who was available for me at in the fourth round at running back was only Kareem Hunt. And that's not someone I'm spending a fourth round pick on. And then a guy like Miles Gaskin. And then it really was slim pickings after that at running back. But let's say you felt comfortable about what was available in running back and you feel like you could get Clyde Edwards Elaire and then like somebody like DeAndre Swift in rounds three and four. Well, that's not a bad way to go, okay? But it just all depends, again, on look at who's being drafted ahead of you, meaning is there a run on running backs happening? Is there a run on receivers happening? And if so, what's the next likely run to be? And then kind of basically shape your strategy on the fly that way. No matter how prepared we are for a fantasy draft, it's always going to – not. Not always, but it, it very much anytime can fluctuate and be like, hey, this strategy that you wanted to incorporate, that's all fine and dandy, but it didn't work out. You're going to have to change up, right? And I have no problem doing that. Like if if somehow I'm selecting it, you know, late in the first round and all of the running backs are off the board, like th- there's no receivers, you know, even taken. I mean, maybe at that point I would say, okay, I think the best value here is Devontae Adams because look, Devontae Adams is a dude that is going to score more points than an awful lot of running backs. I know a lot of us don't want to go running back in the first round, you know, and I think that while I generally agree with that statement, I would still caution you to say, wait a minute, let's make sure that it's not a smarter move to go ahead and take Demonte, a receiver here in the first round. So it all depends on kind of how the board unfolds and, and again, what value is available. Who would, who would you rather have? And this is just a really a philosophical difference. If you, if you value Devonte Adams more than a guy like Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb or Aaron Jones, well then by all means take him. I think that if I'm just ranking those guys, I think I like Jonathan Taylor. <clears throat> I think I like Jonathan Taylor more, maybe Nick Chubb, but the only thing that scares me about Nick Chubb is the fact that if his efficiency goes down, if his role in terms of his snap percentage, right, stays the same as it was last year, which is about 50%, not very, you know, not super exciting. And his efficiency, for whatever reason, maybe it's injuries to the offensive line, if his efficiency goes down even a little bit, Nick Chubb all of a sudden has a much lower floor than what we would hope for and a guy like Devonte Adams is coming off a year in 14 games where he was targeted 145 I'm sorry 149 times and he caught 18 touchdowns right so that's pretty outrageous um and yeah and I mean he did so averaging his normal 12 yards per reception so it's not like it's not like his efficiency went down a little bit but let's take a look at Nick Chubb real quick Nick let me so I can illustrate my point better here but <clears throat> Nick Chubb obviously missed some games last year, and that's slightly concerning because we don't ever want our guy to miss games. But what I mean about his efficiency, right? He was on the field for 50% of the snaps, okay? He averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He caught almost 90% of the targets. So even though he wasn't a big reception guy, only 16 on the year, <clears throat> he caught 16 of 18, right? So maybe um, – Maybe his efficiency doesn't get quite that high, and his rushing receiving touchdowns 12 on 190 touches. So that's again like one every nine touches, if I'm if my math is correct there. So <clears throat> I think it's possible, not likely, but it's possible for his efficiency to drop just a little bit. And if that happens, I think that Devontae Adams is much more likely to be a 
better fan. You know, he's much more likely to be the higher scoring fantasy player than Nick Chubb, right? And Chubb last year was, I don't want to hear about the injury prone things. I don't think it's a valid argument. Last year he missed four games, but those are the only four games he's ever missed. And again, it was in a season where his efficiency was higher than ever. But something slightly concerning would be that he, he averaged, you know, with the presence of Kareem Hunt, again, he averaged three less carries than what he averaged the year before. And again, that was a brand new, different coach and different scheme and all that stuff too. But, um, and then in terms of receptions, he caught 20 less passes. And again, he played four less games. So it's not devastating there from that standpoint. But <clears throat> that would be my only concern about Nick Chubb. I don't think that I'm going to have that same concern about Jonathan Taylor simply because Jonathan Taylor is a guy that is going to be the workhorse back in Indianapolis, even though the other guys will get touches. Naeem Hines might be a matchup-based flex option for you in a pretty good value late. <clears throat> um, Marlon Mack, to me, is not a guy that's going to be heavily involved. I think he's a guy that you have there simply because the running back position is a violent position. You want to have a guy there that can come in and carry the load as your early down back, which is what Jonathan Taylor is obviously going to be if Jonathan Taylor was to miss a couple of games. I think that's the whole reason you signed a guy like Marlon Mack back to that deal. And, and again, similar to the James Conner deal in Arizona happened late in the process. They did that late with Marlon Mack. They were fully prepared to allow Marlon Mack to walk out the door. They just spent a early, early second round pick on Jonathan Taylor the previous season. And he started to play well down the stretch. So I think that the odds of Jonathan Taylor getting less touches than what he got as a rookie is almost impossible because they were patient enough with him. And this again, goes back to the word intent. Their intent is to use him so much so that they were extremely patient with him and kept getting him the football, even in a season where for the first eight or so games, he really didn't play at a high level, right? I mean, he was, he was struggling. He was pressing in my opinion, but with all that stuff, you know, with the fact that he played much better, his snap his snap percentage went up considerably over the last four, five, six games or whatever, including the playoffs. And yeah, man, he was just he was awesome. So if we look at real quick, Jonathan Taylor over the final, let's see, six games of the regular season, the guy was averaging six point two yards a carry. He was averaging almost one hundred and twenty four yards per game on the ground, and he was still catching nearly two and a half passes per game. Right. And then, oh, by the way, in the playoffs, he had 21 carries, 23 total touches, didn't have a bunch of yards because Buffalo was really stacking the box against the Colts there in that game. But he is he was playing really, really well. And it was weirdly for him. You saw some players after COVID really kind of fall off. Jonathan Taylor picked his game up after COVID and came in and, and really went nuts. So. um, So, yeah. I feel slightly more comfortable. I guess what I'm saying is I feel slightly more comfortable with Jonathan Taylor than I do Nick Chubb simply because if Chubb's efficiency goes down a little bit, and, and by the way, it's not just if it goes down. He was historically efficient. He had almost like an Alvin Kamara rookie season level of efficiency. Of efficiency. You don't almost ever see an NFL running back average on those kinds of touches average six yards per carry. He was close. He was at 5.6. Okay. And again, he caught 90% of his targets. So even though he wasn't targeted a lot, he was, he showed that he was a pretty reliable receiver when given the opportunity. I think it's just the cream hunt. And that's kind of the downside with, 
Nick Chubb there, Kareem Hunt is a better pass catcher. Just generally speaking, he's a better route runner. He's a better pass catcher than Nick Chubb is. So that's going to kind of keep Chubb off the field a little bit more than maybe you should like. But again, let me go back to the real general topic of this podcast. And that is, at least for the early rounds, okay, I think that as long as the board permits going running back, running back, running back, and then addressing your top two receivers in rounds four or five is one option I would consider. And I think that it's one that I probably prefer. And look, I'm definitely going to prefer going running back, running back in the first two rounds. However, if Devontae Adams is the better player in your first round, then just take him. You know what I mean? That's okay because we now know with what happened yesterday, at least through one mock draft, we can feel slightly comfortable that there will be a running back available in rounds two and three in most cases, right? So if you go, let's just say this, you go Devontae Adams and then you go Antonio Gibson and then Clyde edwards Lair, that's pretty solid, right? You know, we have to figure out during this pre-draft process through mock drafts and trial and error, um, which is the best three-piece to come out of your first three rounds with, which is the best group of five to come out of those first five rounds with. So next week when I do my mock draft, I'll change it up deliberately as long as it's not just going completely against the board, right? I'll change it up. Maybe I'll take Devontae Adams in round one and then come back and grab whoever in rounds three. Like for example, if you like, let's just say you like, you love four, the top four running backs. So that means at the 105, you don't love guys like Jonathan Taylor. You don't love Nick Chubb. You don't love whatever running backs are available there. I don't think it's crazy to take Devontae Adams if that's how you feel, right? If that's where your board is. I don't think it's crazy to take Devontae Adams at the 105. You know, I really don't. And who knows, that may lead to a little bit of a trickle down, meaning maybe two or three receivers go in the first round because they saw you take Devontae there. So then maybe it really leads down to pushing some really good running backs available in round two, whereas a guy like Cam Akers will, instead of him being sniped right in front of me, maybe he'll be available for you in round two and and who knows? So that could, one decision you make could ultimately trickle down and affect the entire, the entire, at least first, you know, few rounds of the draft in a way that you weren't anticipating. So that is uh, definitely something to monitor. But I think from a general sense, right, if you're looking at the guys that are available at the running back position in rounds four and five, I'm just going to read off of a fantasy football calculator of guys that are available there. Kareem Hunt, Raheem Mostert, Melvin Gordon, Miles Gaskin, Ronald Jones, Chase Edmonds. Those are the running backs available in rounds four and five. Those are not guys that I'm, I'm wanting to say is, as my running back one or two. If you have some of those guys as a flex option, like I had Mike Davis, who I basically put similar to in that same group, to be honest, or maybe slightly below, I got Mike Davis at the end of the sixth round. So getting him there to me was pretty good value. But I'm not ready to, if that's what you're looking at, that's available in rounds four or five, I would much prefer to go ahead and address my running backs early and then take guys like Robert Woods in Cooper Cup and, uh, Kenny Galladay and you know those types of DJ Moore those types of guys Chris Godwin even in rounds four five and six so anyways I just wanted to kind of talk about a little draft strategy do a little slight review of what happened in yesterday's mock and um yeah just kind of basically brainstorm some fantasy talk for you guys so that's gonna do it for this podcast I appreciate you for listening subscribe share review all that stuff and I'll see you tomorrow peace